Acts chapter 21, verse 27 is where I'll pick up, but I am going to do just a quick review. Lord, we lift up your word before your people. Lord, I, I believe you've given the gift of teaching in the church to explain the scriptures, Lord, but it is up to you and your Holy Spirit for the application in each of our hearts this morning. And so, Lord, we ask that uh, your word would be proclaimed clear. And while there are things in here, Lord, that are just, uh, might seem uh, insignificant to our daily life, Lord, we know that's not true. We know that in this passage of scripture, you are going to speak to every single one of us. I don't know how, but we're looking forward to it, Lord. And so we just ask now that you'd be merciful to us, that you would open our ears, Lord, that we would have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Lord, that you'd forgive me of any pride, uh, Lord, which is present in my heart always, Lord, and that you would uh, just proclaim what you'd have to say this morning freely, that you'd bless your church, you'd raise us up, Lord, not to just be uh, hearers but doers, and Lord, uh, that you would give us a sense of your timing and the things that you have ahead for us. We ask that we would seize the day, Lord, that we would not allow any time to go by without uh, just cutting off sin and, and picking up our cross and following you and being led by the Spirit in a powerful way. And we're asking all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Paul has ended his third missionary journey. That's what God called him to do. He called him to go preach to the Gentiles. Gentiles are non-Jews. The, the church started in Jerusalem, and it spread out to there. And Jesus said, go into all the world, into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts. So Walla Walla, Tushi, uh, you know, Tri-Cities, and even Seattle, for crying out loud. The Lord wants to reach people in Seattle and California. Could you believe that? And so it's the kind of that mentality. It's like that, that God would reach them, those godless, crazy heathens out there. And yes, God has a heartbeat. That was his plan all the way from the beginning to reach crazy people from California. Praise the Lord. You know? And, and, and that's kind of what he's, he's doing here. He says he's ended his third missionary journey. He's been traveling through that area of Asia, which is all Gentile area. Now he's returning back to Jerusalem. It's Pentecost in Greek. That's at one of the three main Greek, uh, sorry, uh, Hebrew festivals. And that means 50. Penta means 50. Uh, cost means it's going to cost him something. Uh, I'm just kidding. It's a feast of weeks is what it is. It's 50 days or 50 days after the Passover. That's significant for the Jews. Uh, and the Feast of Pentecost is significant in three ways. I'm setting up some historical background for you, okay? So we're not just reading a 2,000-year-old document without knowing where we're going and what it's talking about. But this day of Pentecost... The reason they're all gathered there in Jerusalem as Jews, first it celebrated the end of the grain harvest. And Jews would come from everywhere, from Jerusalem, from all over, the other parts, wherever they got scattered. They'd come and they'd bring an offering to the Lord of the grain. Isn't that awesome? So they give God uh, their, you know, the best out of what they had. And that's one of the things. And Josephus, a historian at the time, a Jewish historian who was uh, kind of, conquered by the Romans there and had to do some things. In the first century, he lived in that first century, said about one to two million people converged on the city of Jerusalem. 
Remember when we had the concert this last summer, how the population kind of swelled? Imagine one to two million people instead of that, you know, pushing into a small place. It's incredible. And so there's a lot of people there. Pentecost also is significant because it is the day that the church was born. When the Holy Spirit fell during the Feast of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, 20 years before what we're reading today. So it's a 20-year birthday, and Paul's kind of cruising back. That's pretty significant. Thirdly, Pentecost is significant because according to the rabbinical traditions, the law was given 50 days after that Passover when they left Egypt. And so you've got a bunch of Jews who are very serious about their religion, and they're all coming back to celebrate the law. And they are absolutely, that is what they're there for. Man, we remember God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses 50 days after we escaped from Egypt, after that Passover, that first Passover. And so there's one to two million people here that converged upon Jerusalem. They're not only celebrating a religious feast, they're zealous for the law. And as we read last week in chapter 21, verse 17 through 26, it says, Paul, along with his Jewish Gentile companions from Asia, they came to the elders, right? And James, uh, and they give this detailed report of all that God had done in California and all these other places, Right? And you give a city-by-city city report of all the people that came to the Lord and all the great things that happened at the hand of God. And that's what people want to hear is what God is doing. Right? And they praised God. And then James says, starting in verse 20, he says, When they heard this, they praised God. And then they said to Paul, You see, brothers, how many thousands of Jews have believed here? And all of them are zealous for the law. It's a key point. And then they have, they've all been formed. You teach the Jews who live among you, uh, among the Gentiles, to turn away from uh, Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. And so Paul's in the midst of a people, both saved and unsaved, who are zealous for the law of Moses. And so James and the elders in verse 22 says, what should we do? This is a problem. You're in this hyper, incredibly uh, law-oriented culture here. And, and guess what? They've already got information that you have not been teaching. You've been telling people to turn away everything that they actually enjoy. And so how do you think this one to, uh, one to two million uh, groups, uh, uh, one to two million people of Middle Easterners are going to respond to this guy? They have a party. That's what they do. They get serious. Right? And that's what we read about last week. And so Paul, the, the elders say, so what do we do? What I want you to do is try to do a peace offering. They tell him to shave his head, take these four guys, pay for their rights, so the, the Jews will see that you're still Jewish in nature. He goes ahead and does this. We talked about that last week. I believe Paul's being all things to all people here, that he might win some. Some believe he's compromising. You go figure it out. Verse 27, where we pick up this morning. When the seven days were nearly over, he shaved his head, paid for the rights. He's trying to do a peace offering here just to give common ground for everybody. It says, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul in the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, fellow Israelites, help us. This man is who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law in this place. And besides that, he's brought a Greek into the temple and defiles this holy place. 
Verse 29 says, And they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. So most likely these Jews from Asia were from Ephesus, and we spent a long time in Ephesus. And you remember what happened in Ephesus? Those were the riots by the Gentiles, but they're also, remember when he came into the city, it said that he started arguing and persuading them in the synagogue, as was his custom. He started he started debating with them about the resurrection in Jesus Christ. And in Ephesians uh, 19, starting in verse 9, it says, But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So it got really hostile in Ephesus. And so Paul left them. He took his disciples with them, and they had discussions daily at the, this hall of Tyrannus. And this went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. And so uh, you have these Jews from this province of Asia, most likely the city of Ephesus, who were having these discussions. Remember Paul. Remember not only that he was uh, giving them trouble, but everybody around them was coming to Jesus. People were burning their scrolls. People were changing and laying down their old ways and coming to God. Massive move, move of the Lord. It says that God worked through uh, signs and wonders through Paul. I mean, it was a powerful situation. People were having their, the come to Jesus moment literally all the time. It was turning the world upside down. And these people had recognized Trophimus. They had recognized Paul. And here they are back in the city. Because you remember, Trophimus is hanging out with Paul as one of those representatives to bring back this gift from all those churches to give to the poor people in Jerusalem, the poor church in Jerusalem, right? And here Paul stands. And they're pointing him out. And they start saying, this is the guy who's turning the world upside down. And not only that, he brought one of them guys into here. One of those Gentiles, yuck. And they give them, he gives them two charges. The first was that the, this is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law in this place. And secondly, he brought the, the Greeks, brought the Greeks in the temple. Here they all are, gathered in Jerusalem, zealous for the law, celebrating the giving of the law. And here comes Paul, this guy who supposedly preached against the law. In reality, Paul, who had already written the book of Romans and Galatians by this time, taught, he didn't teach against the law, he said, taught that no man was saved by keeping the law. He taught that no man was saved by keeping the law, that no man was saved by keeping the law, but the law which is perfect, which is good, which is holy, praise God, amen? The Ten Commandments, man, that is awesome. Amen? It's like, praise the Lord, good, holy, perfect. He taught that it was a schoolmaster to teach us that we cannot be perfect. We cannot keep the law of God and it should drive us to a Savior. That's the purpose of the law. That you can't keep it. Right? And he says, those with the law in Romans are going to be judged by the law. And those without the law, guess what? If you didn't grow up, you're a Gentile law, you're going to find out that it was written on the law of your heart. And you're going to start to comply to it. It's called conscience. It's amazing. You can go into all cultures of the world and you find out the standard is usually, uh, you know, don't cheat on your wife. Why is that? God wrote it in your heart. 
a lot of things there. And so they had these, these, uh, these, uh, th- these accusations they were bringing against Paul. And no one can keep the law. And that was the thing. No one could keep the law except for one. Except for one. And who was that? Jesus Christ. And Paul taught that all men, Jews and Greeks, were saved the same way. Through faith in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Abraham, who was before the law, was justified. By the way, he was from Iraq. Just kind of over in that area. He was justified by faith before he was circumcised and well before the law. And so what Paul taught was that all, uh, was all that the law pointed, uh, Paul taught uh, was all that the law pointed to, the fulfillment of the law, and these types and shadows, which was the reality, the reality of all those things pointed to the person of Jesus Christ. The Savior of the world. But they rejected the way. And so the first charge against Paul was that they taught against Moses when in reality he taught the fulfillment of the law, the wholeness of the law, the completion of Judaism, Jesus Christ. Amen? And secondly, they taught that Paul brought Trophimus, this Gentile Ephesian, into the temple, which was a no-no. You didn't do that. The temple was divided into courts. And so just imagine a square within a square within a square within a square. That's kind of how you, how you do it. And, and on the outside of this square was the court of the Gentiles. And then you had walls, and then you, had, you went a little bit further in, and there was the court of the women. It, it is traditional today that men and wor- women uh, worship separately in Eastern cultures, okay? Deal with it, all right? That's the way it is. They, they, they revere those things. They believe that they're sacred and they don't want any intermingling and so they have these types of things. There's cultural differences, all right? And so on the outside, you have what? The Gentiles. Then you have the women and then you have the, the court of Israel and then as you get kind of closer into the middle, you have a place where only the priests can go and then you go into the building and, and there's, a, there's the holy place, which is where the showbread was with all the bread and then there's the, uh, the, the, uh, the menorah, excuse me, thank you very much, the menorah with all the, the oil. So you've got the bread of life, you've got the oil of the spirit, you've got all these pictures and, and as you go in further, there's this wall and there's the holy of holies which is in the very middle which is where that Ark of the Covenant is, where the law of God and upon the top of the law of God is the mercy seat, praise the Lord. Amen? And the high priest could only go in there once a year and only with blood. So you see how, when you got closer, how more serious it got. And so Jesus busted into that holy place and by his blood made it to where that veil was torn. And guess who gets to run in and say, Abba, Father? Everyone who calls upon the name of the Jesus. Jew, Gentile, guy, girl. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. That's what we're excited about. Jesus. So, not so in this day, right? On the, on the wall, between, when you started to go from the court of the Gentiles into the court of the women, there's these signs. And the signs basically said, I wrote it down, it was found in 1871 by Charles Simon Clermont Ganon, uh, which said, no strangers, these are, uh, were on the wall, it said, no strangers or Gentile, foreigner, is, is to enter within uh, the, the balustrade 
around this temple and enclosure. Whoever is caught with, uh, will be responsible to himself for his death, which will ensue. Don't enter, you're going to die, Gentile. They were very serious about that. And so they're saying, what happened? Paul brought the guy into the court of the women or the court of the men, right? So don't do that. And the Jews stirred up the crowd by saying these things that Paul brought him in. And we, when we realized they thought they had done it because they saw him with them. Paul wouldn't have done that. Now, verse 30, the whole city was aroused. They were just upward, and people came running from all directions. How many people are in the city at this time? Right. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple. How many of you have been dragged before? By a dog when I was like six. It's not fun. You have no control. Paul, they grabbed him, they seized him from the temple, so they're pulling him out of that courtyard, and immediately the gates were shut. No, you can't go in there, into that inner court, or that uh, court of the Israelites. And while they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that ho- the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. Exact thing you want to wake up to. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. And when the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. And so, excuse me, the city is in a riot and Paul is being beaten to death. And news reached the commander of the Roman troops. Now, the word for commander there is is a thousand. He's over a thousand people. And then you see, it says, then he took some soldiers. That word for soldier is centurion. Those are over hundreds. And so most likely this guy, over a thousand, had ten centurions under him with a hundred troops under each one. Does that make sense? And they took these soldiers and ran down to the crowd. And so it says they ran down to the crowd. That implies they came up from somewhere. And there's the Antonia Fortress, which was built by the Romans right next to their temple. So these courts on the outside, right up against it, they built this giant fortress where they'd house all these troops. And the steps went right down into the temple. Great Romans just did not like civil unrest. And they dealt with it swiftly and justly. And they just had troops housed in there, and they did it for the specific reason, because every time there was some kind of religious feast, someone's get out of control, and they were going to stomp it. They ruled with an iron fist, pretty much, right? And so they came right down. News came in, so it was just a matter of seconds before they could get there, most people think. And so, verse 33, the commander came up and arrested him, arrested Paul. Nice and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Now, if you've been following along, something should grab your attention. What is it? They grabbed him, and they bound him with two chains. What did Agabus do? What's he been telling him? Every single city, hardship and imprisonments await you. Chains await you. And Agabus says, if you go into that city, guess what's going to happen to you? They're going to chain you, and they're going to hand you over to the Gentiles. And what just happened? He got bound hand and foot. What did Agabus do? He tied his hands and feet. It says two chains. I'm assuming one for his hands, one for his feet, so take that. But verse 10 and 11 of chapter 21 says, Coming over, he, Agabus, took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet, and said with it, The Holy Spirit says, In this way the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. 
And that's really what the process began in verse 33. Paul was bound and he was handed over to the Gentiles. And so Paul seized and then he was bound by the commander. And then he asks who he was and what he had done wrong. If you ever watch cops, that's usually how it happens. (laughs) They just cuff everybody, put them in the car, then they find out what's going on, right? It's like, okay, some things haven't changed, right? Verse 34, and then some of the crowd shouted one thing and, and some another. And since the commander could not get all the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. And that's a typical mob mentality. Uh, it's confusion is what it is. And everybody's saying five, six different things. and You can't get to the truth. And that's one of the things that, of, of, uh, of, uh, of an officer that they need to di- get to is, is what are the facts? In order to get to the facts, you need to calm the situation down, separate people out, and, and get to the truth. And so he decides to get Paul up to the fortress. Verse 35, when Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great that he had to be carried by the soldiers. How many of you just put yourself in that position? You're walking in, you're in the temple. And all of a sudden, people just start running up to you and start beating you. And then Roman soldiers bust in, they stop, they grab you, and then it gets so violent that they have to lift you over your head. You're just going, what is going on? (laughs) I was just going into worship, you know? He knew exactly what was going on. But it's crazy. So he decides in getting Paul up to the fortress. And he says, the crowd kept shouting, verse 36, get rid of him. Get rid of him. Kill him. Reminds you of Jesus. And the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks. And he asked the commander, may I say something to you? You can imagine he's like up high. Can I talk to you? And as the soldiers were about to take Paul, so he asked him, may I say something to you? And he goes, and the commander goes back and goes, do you speak Greek? What in the world? He goes, verse 38, aren't you that Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out of the wilderness some time ago? And Paul answered, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in, in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. It's a, it's a pretty big city. Please let me speak to the people. And so the crowd is so violent, they're carrying Paul, and they're yelling for his death, and Paul's looking over the crowd, and he's just about to go inside to safety, and he can't bear the missed opportunity. And so he speaks to the commander in Greek. And when he spoke to the commander in Greek, he was surprised. He's like, what in the world? And he was guessing that Paul was this assassin. If you read a little bit of history around the situation, there was an Egyptian at the time Uh, Josephus kind of lines this up and gives more details to it. He said there was an Egyptian assassin, and basically what happened is he had a band of people that would go through thousands, and they would infiltrate every time there was one of these feasts, and they would run around with knives hidden in their cloaks, and they'd just assassinate people and mix into the crowd, so people would be dropping dead. They're trying to root it every time. So there's just a lot of tension for the Romans and the Jews during these feast times, during this time. And they, they, they went and they finally got a bunch of them, but the, the leader escaped out to the wilderness. And so he's saying, this, they must be mad at something. You've got to be that guy. Who, why, otherwise would they be so upset, right? 
And so Paul in Greek, which was the educated language of the day, the common language of the Palestinians was Aramaic, not Greek. So the Jews would have all been speaking Aramaic. Paul asked in Greek to speak to him, and he explains who he is. I'm a Jew. I'm from this city. And then he does what only Paul would do. He says, can I speak to these people who are trying to kill me? I would be like, can I talk to you? Can you get me the first ticket out of the city? I want to go. What is Paul, what is going on in his mind, in his heart, that he would say, let me talk to these people? He is so convinced that he can reason with them, that he can reach them. Why would that be? How many of you have people like that in your life? You just know. Man, I've been there. I get it. I know it. I've lived it. If I could just get the opportunity. You know, writing in the Philippians, Paul says of himself, in chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. In other words, I'm a Jew. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, I was a Pharisee. As for zeal, I persecuted the church. You talk about zealousy. You guys are zealousy light. I persecuted the church. And as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. I did everything externally that the law required. He was this crowd to the 10th power. Paul understood where they were coming from. And then his heart, that's who he was, but his heart for the Jews these, these people. That's why he would do this. Romans 9, 1 through 5 says, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. he would wish that he would be eternally damned to hell if they, in his place, could experience salvation. Talking about an intensity of love. Who would you do that for? Maybe your kids. We know the love that Christ had that while we were yet sinners, he died for us, right? You see the parable of Jesus, I mean the teachings of Jesus is love your enemies. Right? But that was intense love that he would face people that would kill him in the midst of such great opposition who hated him. That's Christianity. Paul desired that the Jews come to the Lord with all of his heart and here was his chance I can do this, Lord. Put me in. Just let me, let me at him. And this is why some people think Paul was so driven to get to Jerusalem. He just wants to do that. And I can see that, can't you? That he might have been pushing against the Lord and what he really wanted. I get it. I get the angles. Anybody else wanted to do that before? Just, God, this is where we're going. This is what we're doing. Bless it. But he understood him so well. Verse 40, 
After receiving the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. Paul is a short guy. He's got a crazy-looking walk, they say. He has a really long nose, and he's got probably really leaky eyes because he's got problems with his eyes he can't see. And he's motioning to the crowd. He's probably just going, you know, he's having problems. And he speaks to them in Aramaic. When they're all silent, he said to them Aramaic, right? Or some your Bibles say the language of the Hebrews, which is Aramaic at the time, not until uh, another century or so did they switch back over to Hebrew. Verse 22, Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. Listen to my defense. That word for defense there is apologia in Greek, which is where we get the word apologetics. It's become negative in our culture to mean saying, I'm sorry. But in the original context, that word apology is a defense. You're giving a defense, a reason for the faith, right? A defense of his faith. That's what Paul's doing. He's being an apologist right here. Uh-huh. He's giving his defense. Brothers and fathers showing respect, verse 2, when they had heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet And then Paul said, verse 3, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, brought up in the city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. Paul is attempting to build a bridge here. He says, I'm a Jew. Not only am I a Jew, I was brought up right here. You guys are all from here. Hey, I'm a Jew. You're a Jew. I'm from here. You're from here. Not only that, I was taught by the best, Gamaliel. The, everybody would know Gamaliel. He was the best teacher in town back in the day, 20 years ago. Perhaps he was still alive. I don't think so. But the Bible speaks of Gamaliel 20 years earlier in Acts chapter 5, 38 through 39. Remember when Peter and James are brought before him. And Gamaliel basically says, hey, you know, if this is of God, we got a problem. But if it's not, it'll fall apart. And everybody respected his, his wisdom. He was a Pharisee which was part of two sects of the, um, of the leadership council. Pharisees believed in the resurrection and angels and those types of things. The Sadducees did not, and you all know the joke. The leadership there in Jerusalem. And so Paul was thoroughly trained by him in the law of their ancestors. And it says of Gamaliel, he was talking about Paul. I forgot where this was quoted, but the only problem with Paul is he was a top student. He couldn't supply him with enough books. That was Paul's problem. They couldn't, he was an avid reader. And only a handful of people in that multitude could, could boast that they were trained by the best of the best. And so Paul's laying down his credentials before him. Verse 3, I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today, right? And Paul's saying, man, this is who I was before Christ. This is who I was. You're my people. I understand you. This is how it works. We all grew up in the same situation. But I was at the top of the class I was more zealous than all of you. Look how crazy I was. Why have I changed? He goes, verse 4, I persecuted the followers of the way to their death, arresting both men and women, throwing them into prison as the high priest and all the council can testify themselves. Paul was so zealous that he persecuted the church. He was the the head, and they called it the way because Jesus said he was what? He's the way, the truth, and the life. 
So they called it the way, and Jesus said that I am the way, and Paul persecuted the way. And what did he do with people like you and me? He came, and he sought us out, and he found us in our homes, and he grabbed us and our kids and all that stuff, and he threw us into prison, and and we died. It's kind of what that group would understand. That's what Paul would would do. That's who he was. find it interesting. You remember a couple verses back, he's staying at the house of Philip. Remember, Philip left Jerusalem because who started persecuting the church? Paul. (laughs) And so we here are 20 years later and they're hanging out in each other's house. Isn't it amazing what God can do with time? Praise the Lord. I love what he can do. Who knows what he'll do, amen? With the people you're going, oh my gosh, they give me such a hard time. Someone's probably saying that about us, right? But he's saying it's a matter of public record. Everybody knows. Ask the leadership. This is all true. I even obtained letters from them, from the leadership, to their associates in Damascus. And we went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. Yes. So they're listening intently and quietly. So this persecution wasn't just local. He was so seriously, he went global. Paul was at the center of it. Paul's saying, this is who I was before Christ. And now he's going to tell him who he went, uh, how he came to Christ while he was on his way to Damascus. Why did he change? What happened? Verse 6. What's Paul doing here? He's giving them his what? Mom, want to take notes. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, that was his name, right? Saul, Paul, uh, the Greeks called him Paul, Uh, Jews called him Saul. So why do you persecute me? Why do you persecute me, Saul? Verse 8, great question, who are you, Lord? I asked, and I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light. But they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. Verse 10, what shall I do, Lord? I asked, who are you is a great question. What should I do is a great question to ask Jesus. This is eternal life that you would know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. That's very important to know who Jesus Christ is. And secondly, what does he want me to do? What shall I do? Two important questions in your life today. Who are you and what do you want me to do? Get up the Lord said, and go into Damascus. And there you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. Notice Paul was assigned to do things. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because of the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man, verse 12, named Ananias came to me, came to see me, and he was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living in there. Why is he saying that? Who is he talking to? This guy was awesome, just like you, just like me. Verse 13, And he stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at the very moment I was able to see him. And then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. Wow, that's a message in itself. You will be as witness to all people of what you have seen and heard, and now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on his name. And so he gives his conversion experience, what happened to him. And Paul makes it clear that his sins were removed by calling upon the name of Jesus. 
Amen? And baptism is that physical demonstration of faith. Verse 17, when I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying at the temple. I fell into a trance and I saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. It, it, nothing has changed these many years later. But Paul didn't immediately go to Jerusalem. If, if, in case you guys want to know this, I know you do. But according to Galatians 1.16 and Acts 26.20, 20, Paul spent some time in Damascus, then three years in Arabia, then back to Damascus, then to Jerusalem. So there's a lot that he left out, but Paul's not going to lay all that out in there, probably like I shouldn't have just now. And God spoke to Paul, well, deep in prayer. So it was the same for Peter in Acts 10. Remember, he was in a deep trance, and then the, and then the food came down on the thing. He said, rise, kill, and eat Peter. And Peter argued with God. Well, Paul's going to argue with God. Paul... <clears throat> just like now. Um, <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry. So, so Paul relays his thinking to God when, when he says, they're not going to accept your testimony about me. And notice Paul's heart in verse 19. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes who were killing him. I was part of the Sanhedrin. I was the one heading it up. They gave me the clothes to hold. I was overseeing it. Surely all these zealous people relate to me. This is Paul's story 20 years earlier. What's he trying to do right now? still loves these people. How many of you have people in your life you still love 20 years later? Man, this is a perfect opportunity, Lord. Come on, they're going to get it. I love you, Jesus. You know? Let me do this. And Jesus answers in verse 21, and I love this about Jesus. The Lord said to me, go, and I will send you far away to the Gentiles. <laughs> You ever just kind of, with your kids, you just kind of like, just do what I say. <laughs> but you don't understand how great it would be if we just fit this in and did it. Go. Jesus doesn't even give Paul an answer. He just says, go. And notice he gives him what he's going to do. He gives him a little bit more of what he's going to do. I'm going to send you to the Gentiles, far away to the Gentiles. Just an important to note, if you don't get anything from today, if you are arguing with the Lord, you are wrong. <laughs> and I would underline always. Just speak a little start, always. But Lord, oh wait, I'm wrong. You might not understand his reasoning of all this, but God definitely has a sovereign view of everything. He understands the hearts of the people and places that he has you to go. But he says, I'm going to send you far away to the Gentiles. And that gives them hope, right? When God closes one door, he opens another. And I love that about the Lord for his people how we need open doors in our lives when we feel like doors are shut. It just gets so discouraging. And Paul's going to be discouraged here in just a minute. But the crowd listened to Paul, verse 22, until he said this. And then they raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. That is a tough crowd. Rid the earth of him. He is not fit to live. They were tracking with Paul on all this until he said the word Gentile. And they just flipped out. Verse 23, and as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air. Can you imagine that? And just clothes are flying everybody. You're just looking at half a million people. 
you know, as you can just see it, as the voices travel, it's just, it starts going back further and further. It's just a crazy mob mentality as they were shouting and doing these things. Verse 24, the commander ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. Okay, enough is enough. He can't understand what's being said, most likely. He directed that he be flogged and interrogated in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. Let's just get to the bottom of this. Let's flog him. One thing the Romans did not stand for was public disorder. They just stomped it out. And Paul was speaking Aramaic. He didn't understand it. So the Romans just said, let's just take care of this. And what they would do is they, the flogging is something that Paul had never experienced. Flogging is the cat of nine tails, which Jesus experienced. And basically, it was a leather whip with, with nine different things that went out, and the ends were embedded with lead and glass. And so they would take you down, they'd tie you to a post till your back has been over, and they would do 39 lashes because they're in the Jewish territory, but they'd smack you, and they'd just pull, and it would just tear, Right? And what would happen is they're going to get a confession out of him. And what you would do is you would hit it once, and then if you were started to confess, they'd lay it on lighter. But what would happen if you didn't confess? Increasingly, increasingly heavier until it just became totally brutal. What does it say about Jesus in Isaiah 53? As a lamb was before its shears, so he was quiet. He had nothing to confess. So what happened to Jesus? Yeah, for you and for me. Paul, he sees this coming on, and he's, he, he's just like, there's no reason for this. I'm a Roman citizen. And that's what he does. He says, I'm a Roman citizen. Paul did, eventually. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter, I believe, 9 or 11, it says, it talks about Paul, how he had been, three times he was beaten with rods by the Romans, and he was... Uh, whipped five different occasions by the Jews of 39 or less. In other words, they took a four whip. It was a four-prong whip without the metal and stuff, but they would beat him 39 times. He did that five times. He was beaten with rods by the Romans five times. He talked about shipwrecked and all this stuff. I mean, Paul wasn't... He wasn't afraid to suffer for the Lord, but he wasn't going to willfully do something to be prideful in it, to get his self-glory. You understand? And as they stretched out the flog, Paul says, hey, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? And when the centurion heard this, he went from the commander and reported it. What are you doing? He asked. This man is a Roman citizen. The commander went to Paul and asked, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am. You, didn't mas- you said yes or no to that, that answer because you could die otherwise. Verse 28, and then the commander said, I had to pay a lot of money for my citizenship. But I was born a citizen, Paul replied. I was freeborn. Those who were about to interrogate him withdrew immediately, and the commander himself was alarmed when he realized that he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. It was against Roman law to put a Roman citizen, to flog a Roman citizen, and the person who did that would lose their own life. So Paul essentially helped himself, but he also saved that Roman citizen's life. Verse 30, the commander wanted to find out exactly what Paul was saying Paul was being accused by the Jews, and so the next day he released him and ordered the chief priests and all the members of the Sanhedrin to assemble. And they brought Paul and had him stand before them, and that's what we'll pick up next week. You know, church, uh, being a witness for Jesus in an environment that is hostile to God is not easy. 
And that is going to be increasingly our reality as time goes forward. Are you ready? You know, look at what you just read. I want to leave the application to the Holy Spirit. There's a lot there and a lot of places I could go and a lot of things I could explain here. And notice I left a lot out on purpose. I just want you to, to consider what the Lord might say to you through this passage. Look at Paul and his love for people and the place he was and the environment he was in and what he was doing, for better or for worse. And look at your own life and the situations you face and just ask the Lord, what, what would you have of this? Who are you and what do you want me to do <laughs> about this? You know, there's a lot there. But be of good cheer. You're in good company. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And we ask by your spirit you would make the application in our hearts this morning. Lord, you know I have a whole list of things here. But Lord, yours are so much better. And so speak to the hearts of your people this morning. Cause us to rise and to not shrink back, but to love deeply. And we ask that on that day uh, that you're, as we see you face to face, we would, it would just be all that it's supposed to be according to your word and your will. And Lord, I, I pray for anyone this morning who's not on the straight and narrow. I ask that your Holy Spirit would convict and that you would restore. And that you would use the rest of their days to redeem the time. For you have a plan for them, things appointed for them that they should walk in, that we should walk in. Lord, be Lord. Paul's life changed that day. What he planned to do and what he wanted to do and all the papers that were in his hands and the people he was going to and all this stuff, it all changed because he met you. So, Lord, be Lord today. Once again, we return to our first love. In the name of Jesus, amen.